Hebrews chapter 6 in verse 9. Hebrews 6 in verse 9. It says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Has anybody, maybe your parents ever said that to you when you were growing up? You know, hey, I'm, I expect better from you. Uh, I'm, I'm, maybe you've said that to your kids before. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm persuaded better things of you. And Paul, or not Paul, a lot of, I don't, actually Hebrews, they don't really know who wrote it. It kind of sounds like Paul's writing. And I, I almost always say Paul, but uh, it doesn't really matter. But whoever was writing here, obviously it was inspired of God. But God is saying here, it's like, hey, there's some things that we expect from you. Okay, in church, uh, in churches today, we've got people that, uh, for the most part, would are claiming to be saved. You know, you go to most churches today. You know, raise your hand if you know you're on your way to heaven. Well, most people will raise their hand. Most people uh, in pretty much any religion you go to uh, that goes to church regular, especially on a Sunday night, they uh, would say that they're saved, that they're on their way to heaven. But at the same time, a lot of times, if they are saved, you really can't tell a whole lot. When they got saved, if they did get saved, and we're just going to assume that they did, we're going to assume that everybody who says they're saved uh, is saved for right now. But um, you know, if, but the thing is, if everybody is saved who's saying they're saved, you know, one, one of the things that I look at, I think, well, where's the evidence of that? If Jesus Christ moves into your, comes into your heart, if you got the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you'd think something would change, wouldn't you? Remember a while back we did a message about that demoniac, that maniac of Gadara that had a legion of demons inside of him. And we talked about his crazy behavior and the fact that he didn't wear any clothes and nobody could tame this guy. But yet, when he got saved, he was sitting and clothed. And in his right mind, there was a very uh, quick outward difference that people notice in salvation it's going to change a person the bible says if any man be in christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things have become new there's going to be a change in behavior and so what are some of the things that god expects okay now now all these things that we're going to be talking about tonight every one of these things don't think that that a lot of times in churches you know, the preacher, he'll get up and he'll preach real hard against sin or he'll preach real hard on doing something. And a lot of times, and we don't have any visitors in here tonight, but a lot of times uh, people will come out of that church and they'll say things like, oh, that church believes you have to do this to go to heaven. That church believes you have to do that to go to heaven. And nobody ever actually says that. No, And um, I've heard all kinds of things. I remember when I was in driver's ed, there was a boy that was in the class with me that was our neighbor and his sister had come to church with us a few times and one day one of the other kids in drivers that asked me he said he said is it true that uh, women that go to your church are not allowed to wear makeup and I said no I said I said where did you hear that he's like oh I just I just heard well the only person I knew who must have come from was probably from the guy whose sister had come to our church a few times I was like, who said that we don't allow women to come to our church that wear makeup? He's like, well, my sister told me that. I said, my mom and my sisters wear makeup. And he's just like, oh, that, that's just what I was told. I was like, well, I said, yeah, that, 
Not only was that not ever preached against, but a lot, a lot of people did. But sometimes they'll hear somebody preach against something. Maybe dad was preaching and he talked about you know going crazy with the makeup or something. Which my dad used. My dad had a statement that he always made for when it came to makeup is that any old barn could use some paint. Is <laughs> what he used to always say. But uh, people sometimes somebody will preach against something. They'll say they think you know that church thinks you have to do that to go to heaven. Not saying that about any of these things. But one thing is if somebody is going to heaven, God expects certain things. God expects certain behavior. What are some of these things? Well, first of all, one of the things that I believe accompanies salvation is faith in the Scriptures. Faith in the Scriptures. It's sad how many people today will sit in church and just despair over things that... hey. Didn't you didn't you read what the scripture said about that? I mean, you can get up and preach on it, and it just seems like it doesn't help one bit. Just has absolutely no faith. Well, hey, you pray about it. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to do any good. Well, you know, why not? Do you not believe the Bible? Do you not trust what God says? With salvation, there ought to come some faith in the scriptures. How do you think? You know, how are you supposed to know you got saved? What makes you think that you're saved? Well, for me, it's what the scriptures say. Because I don't know about you, when I got saved, I didn't have this, I didn't see any big visions. I didn't see some great miracle take place. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't dying and all of a sudden I was miraculously saved by some angel. I didn't have this, uh, uh, I didn't start speaking in tongues or have some crazy emotional experience. I didn't have any of those things. All I had was faith in what the Bible said. The Bible says, for service shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay. That works. You know, I uh, I believe in heaven. I have faith that there's a heaven. Have I seen heaven? No. I've read this, what the scriptures say about it. I believe there's a hell. I haven't seen hell, thankfully. Don't plan on ever seeing it. But I believe it's there because of a faith in the scripture, uh, faith in the gospel. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. If you want to turn over there, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I mean, it's, it's all over in the Bible. That's what we base our salvation on. Is the word of God, and uh, we ought to, you ought to have faith in the scriptures. Hopefully, that faith is going to grow. All right, when you get saved, you're not going to just automatically boom, you know, just have all the faith in the world. But your faith ought to be growing. That's something that God expects. He wants our faith uh, to grow. That faith in scriptures. Part of that means there's going to be a willingness to obey the scriptures. I mean, you you trust God that if you believe on His name and call on Him for salvation that He'll save you. You believe that part of the Scripture as well? Uh, you know, now, let's start believing in the Ten Commandments. Now let's start believing in some of the other things that the Bible says. And some of the, uh, let's start believing things like love your enemies. Hey, some of that stuff takes some faith. But you know what? Let's start seeing that faith grow. You know, let's start follow. Let's start believing some of them scriptures or following some of them scriptures. Like, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I'm not ready for that yet. Well, start working on it. 
Start trying to build your faith. Faith in the, faith in the Scriptures is what brings the answers to man's problems. There's so many things today that... I mean, uh, you know, I've been talking about it a lot with all the stuff that we're hearing on the news. You know, how are we going to stop these shootings? How are we going to stop this? How are we going to stop... All the, they're always talking about all these problems, trying to figure out how they're going to stop them, and nobody ever brings up the Scriptures. And that's where the answer is at. Faith in the Scriptures. But many people today, of course, you know, I don't expect our politicians to have faith in the Scriptures. They're not even saved, most of them. And so, uh, but as Christians, one of the things, God expects that from us. He expects some things. He's persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. God doesn't expect it from the lost. He does expect it from us. There are many things in the Bible that we read them as far as maybe, uh, you know, the scriptures maybe concerning the family that the world looks at and says, that's crazy. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't follow it. And you know what? That's, it's one thing for them to disobey the scriptures. It's another thing for us. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We're children of God. Another thing that will happen, things that a thing that should accompany salvation, is that you will be a witness of Christ. First John chapter five verse ten. First John five verse ten says, "He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God." hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. We have that witness in us. That witness ought to show in our life. We are a witness for Christ. That's what we become when we're saved. We see that throughout we see that throughout the Bible. When people got saved, they just kind of automatically became witnesses. The maniac of Gadara, after he got saved, he wanted to be a disciple of Christ. Jesus told him no, he told him to stay there. And that man went and he told the people in his town the next time Jesus showed up in town, there was a multitude waiting for Jesus. That man was a witness. The woman at the well, when she got saved, First thing she did, she went and told. She just starts telling everybody in town, "Hey, come and see this man that told me everything that I ever did." She became a witness. We, uh, the apostle Paul. I mean, he went from persecuting Christians to immediately witnessing, being a preacher. That's what I mean. Throughout the Bible, you see people doing that. Just they would get saved, and just boom, they're telling other people. It was just it was automatic. And that's something that God expects to be a witness. You know, all of us, we ought to have, I mean, we're like this and everything. When something good happens, you want to tell other people about it, don't you? I mean, boy, we'll be excited and want to tell other people about a new restaurant that opened. But we're not interested in telling people about who saved us. And I know we've let the world scare us away from it because we've got to be politically correct and we're not supposed to. You know, interfere in other people's religious, you know, feelings and things like that. Hey, we're just trying to tell people good news. That's what the gospel gospel means. It means good news, and you ought to be a witness. We're a witness. 
Uh, Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 16. We'll read another verse to you. Romans 8, 16. It says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And we can... Uh, it helps us. It uh, it gives us the words to say sometimes. There's been many times when I've been witnessing to people and it's, it's like the Holy Spirit's doing all the talking. I'll start quoting Scriptures I didn't even know I knew. And it's... You know, the Holy Spirit, he, he makes us a witness. When Jesus Christ was ascending into heaven on the Mount of Olives, He said, you shall receive power. He told him, you'll, and He said, and you'll be witnesses unto Me. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth, that's what one of the reasons we've been saved so we can be a witness to other people. And God expects it from the saved. God does not expect lost people to be handing out tracts. God doesn't expect lost people to be going and telling other people how to get saved. They don't even know themselves. He expects that from us. Something that should accompany salvation. It's, I mean, it's, uh, last week we, I did the message on, about talking about being born again. You know, there's some things that accompany being born physically. For example, eating is something that very quickly babies want to do. When they don't, it's a problem. Eleven years ago, Tommy was born. When he he was born four weeks early, and he didn't want to eat very much at first, and it concerned us. And it was it made the doctors be a real pain in the neck too, <laughs> and because he wasn't eating according to the way he should be on all their charts and things that they have. And yeah, you know, there's things that hey, uh, you know they kept they kept bringing out all these charts and things of things that accompany being born. It's like your child is needs to fall in this percentile and he needs to be in this place on the graph. And if he's not doing this and this and this, he's got to stay at the hospital. It's like, come on. You know, and, and every kid's different in a lot of ways. Of course, there's certain things. But you know, it's the same thing when we get saved when we're born again. God expects certain things from us. And uh, we ought to see those things. Another one of the things that uh, accompany salvation is your associations will change. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. I really worry about somebody who says that they got saved, but they have no interest in being around God's people. No, listen, you know, we like to be around people that we have something in common with, don't we? I mean, when you go when you go to a ball game, one of the things that makes ball games exciting is when you go to a home game and you're just surrounded by people that are all for the same thing, and that is that team winning. You know, and when they do, it's exciting. I haven't experienced that a whole lot because I always went to Cubs games and they were always getting killed. It seems like, but I was at a couple where they won, and it was exciting and and. You'd be around people that you'd never seen in your life, but boy, you'd start kind of having fun. Sometimes you know you're giving five to people that you don't know, and just there's just something that you have in common. And you, a baseball team. And listen, if a baseball team can bring people together, salvation definitely ought to be able to do that. Our what we have in Christ. I mean, we're a family. You have 
a new family. It says we know that we have passed from death and life because we love the brethren. We're brothers. We're sisters in Christ. And it's good. It, you're going to want to be around family. I mean, what do we call it when people, when families don't want to be around each other? You know, dysfunctional. And that's, that's pretty normal these days. But you know, for Christians, that shouldn't be normal or where we don't want to be around each other. We don't want to be a dysfunctional church. We don't want to be a dysfunctional family in this church. And there, there's a lot of folks, they don't want to go to church because they just don't like the people in the church. And that worries me because the Bible says we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Why don't you love those people? Is it because they're all lost? That whole church is lost? Or is it because maybe you're lost? And I don't know, I like being around God's people. I enjoy it. You're going to desire that, you're going to desire that new company. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Acts 9, 26 says, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Think about it. Paul, if you may remember in Acts, James, he was the first of the apostles to die. He was martyred. And of course, it excited a lot of the Jews and things. I forgot which one it was, whoever it was that had him put to death. He thought, man, I'm going to do more of this. And they used guys like Paul. And so Paul, no doubt, had probably been targeting the disciples at one time to kill them. I mean, ultimately, those were, those are going to be the trophies. Those are the big guys to get. He wanted to kill them. Paul killed Christians, but when he got saved, he wanted to join them. Hey, those guys that I wanted to kill before, hey, where are they at? I wonder if, I wonder if they'll, if I can join them. I wonder if they'll take me in. And of course, you know, it says they didn't want to. They were scared of him. They weren't sure if he really got it. You know, is this one of his tricks that he's going to use so he can find us and kill us? And Bar- well, thankfully, Barnabas came along, and Barnabas was like, "Hey, he's seen Christ. He's seen the Lord. This guy's really got it. This guy has changed." Barnabas saw some things in Paul, some things that accompany salvation, and Barnabas went back and he told the disciples about it. And sure enough, they accepted him. Paul had changed. Some, it was different. Paul went from wanting to kill a group to wanting to be with them and to join them and calling them brothers. And I tell you, there's some people in church today that want to kill the brethren. It's like, that's not the way it works. Okay, if you're saved, you're going to love the brethren. You're going to want to be around them. If you're still wanting to kill them, you need to ask yourself, are you a Saul of Tarsus? Or are you the Apostle Paul? When he got saved, God changed his name to Paul. He became a new person. He had new associations. Then I tell you, when, you know, I'm not saying that when you get saved, you got to go back and you got to tell all your lost friends that, they're, you know, that they're all a bunch of heathens and you're not going to have anything to do with them again. But you know what? If uh, chances are, you're, it's the relationship's not going to be the same anymore. I mean, if they've been if that group that you maybe used to sin with and go drinking with and getting drunk with or whatever, if you're saved, you're not going to be able to enjoy that anymore. It's not going to be fun anymore. And you're going to want to hang around people that are living your new lifestyle. And you're going to find them in the house of God where God's people are. That new family, that new company that comes with salvation. And I tell you, you've got to be careful 
you get back with that old crowd, they can get you in a lot of trouble real fast. They won't make you lose your salvation, but they can uh, cause you to get pretty backslidden and get you in a lot of trouble. But another thing that accompanies salvation is fear of sin. Okay, you know we believe that you know once saved, always saved. Okay, listen, if, if you're saved, you're saved. You cannot lose your salvation. You are going to go to heaven. And people sometimes they will hear that doctrine of eternal security and they've got this attitude of, oh man, well this church thing is great. I can go get saved, be guaranteed heaven, and live just as wicked as I want to live and not have anything to worry about. Listen, if you really get saved, you're going to realize, hey, that the reason I got saved was because I was a sinner. My sin was going to put me in a place called hell. Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. You're not going to, if you believe all that, you're not going to look at salvation like that. You're not going to think of it that way. You're going to have a fear of sin. You're going to have a hatred of sin. Not because you fear it taking you to hell, but because you fear it stealing your joy. You fear it getting you in trouble. I fear snakes. You know why I fear snakes? Because I don't want to get bit. I don't. I don't like. I'm scared of them. I don't. If there's a snake in this room, I'm going to go to the opposite end of the room. I'm going to get as far away from it as I can. I don't like them. Even even when we go to zoos or the like the shed aquarium, they'll have those big snakes, and I like looking at those because I feel pretty safe with that glass that they have there. But have you ever been to some of these places before and they got people out there holding them? Hey, you know, you want to come pet it? You want to come hold it? No. <laughs> I'm not touching that. I'm not staying or I'm not staying around that. I don't want to get bit. I'm not going to play around with it. I just I I fear things like smoking because I know how addictive it can be. I know how hard it is for people to give it up. I know the health risks that are involved. And so Hey, I'm just going to stay away from that. Those things are bad. Snakes are bad. Sin is bad. I'm going to stay away from things that are bad because I don't want the problems that come with that. And people today, they look at Jesus as a way that they can go to heaven and sin all they want. And God has persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. You should have a fear of sin. Fools, the Bible says, they make mock of sin. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. It says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Fools, they mock it. They make fun of it. They act like it's nothing. They act like it's no big deal. They act like they can handle it. And it's just foolish. It's, it's foolish. It's destructive. And God does not expect His children to act like a bunch of fools. And there I'm telling you, sin, when you mess with sin, you're just asking for it. And one of the things that I, I enjoy doing sometimes, I enjoy watching uh, things like America's Funniest Home Videos or sometimes on the internet you'll see these, they call them fail videos and things of people getting hurt. And so, you know, why do you think that's funny? Uh, the reason it's so funny is one, it's funny watching people get hurt sometimes, but most of these people are doing stupid things. I mean, really stupid things. 
And he's like, well, that's not funny. These people got hurt. But they were being really stupid. I mean, you know, what, some of the skateboard things that they do, I mean, some of those things look so painful. I've watched some of these videos where people go down these long hills on these skateboards and get going super fast, and they will wipe out. It looks so painful. And you know what I think when I see that? That's a fool. I mean, now I imagine there's some fun with that. But you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do that. It's not gonna. It's just. It's not gonna happen because I fear pain. I'm not gonna mock at pain. I'm not gonna act like it's no big deal. There's this thing now people are always trying to do. You know, where the car comes driving by and they kind of run and you know step off of it and jump over and all that. And they're always getting hurt doing it. I mean, some of the you know trying to jump from one roof to another roof and doing all these things and they just they get hurt and it's like, hey, these things are dangerous. Pain is for real. And a lot of times when you see people doing these videos with all this stupid stuff, a lot of times you find out there's alcohol involved. <laughs> that impairs your senses. And they just, they, they look at ah, no big deal. And then they end up getting hurt, end up in the hospital. And people do the same thing with sin. They play around with it. They think it's funny. It's not funny. It's serious. And God expects better from you. He expects you when you see things like that to stay away. I, I've so you know when I was fortunately for me, I'm not gonna you know when I was younger, you'd see people doing all these little daredevil things. You know, a lot of times I didn't do it. One, it wasn't it wasn't because I was a wise young man. Probably the main reason was because one, I feared pain. I've never liked getting hurt. My whole life, I've never liked getting hurt. And then two, I always knew if I did something stupid and got hurt, that my dad was going to kill me after I got better. And so it's like, you know, you, uh, either way, I was going to be in trouble. So I thought, if I'm going to get hurt, it needs to be an accident. It needs to be something that I did not ask for. And but fools, uh, they they could care less. They do stupid things all the time. I mean, it's it's crazy some of the stuff that people are doing on a regular basis. And I, some of these people too. I almost think they hurt themselves on purpose just so they can get famous on the internet. I think they're that stupid. That they they are they want fame so bad they they will go ahead and get their fame from being stupid. I, it's it's crazy. But another thing that accompanies salvation is you're going to desire to serve the Lord. A desire to serve in First Samuel chapter twelve and verse twenty four. Verse Samuel twelve twenty four says, "Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He hath done for you." Now, a lot of people they don't like talking about service, and uh, they don't like it if when they go to church and they get challenged to serve the Lord. They don't like when they get challenged on anything these days. But the Bible says, "Fear the Lord and serve Him." And it makes it seem and consider how great things He had done for you. If we thought about what God did for us when He saved us, if we just thought about it, we're not going to have a problem serving Him. We're definitely not going to think God's asking too much from us when He asks us to serve Him. If He asks us to give of our tithes and offerings, if He asks us to live a certain way or dress a certain way or act a certain way, we are not going to act like no, you're not. That's not asking too much. When we consider what he's done for us, I mean, there's been some jobs I've worked before that didn't pay very good, 
And some of the things that they have asked me to do for what I was getting paid, I thought, you know, uh, this isn't really worth it. But I've now on the flip side, there's been jobs that I've done that the rewards were very good. I'm like, hey, you know what? I can do this. I'll do this all you want. I've said it a million times. I would dig ditches for a living. I paid a hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> Five dollars an hour? No, <laughs> not, not, not going to do it. And if we would consider what God has already done for us, we're not going to think He's asking too much by telling, asking us to be a witness or trying to uh, when He asks us to be more like Him. We're not. We're not going to do that. We're not going to think that way. If I gave you a million dollars today and next week I ask you for a 20 I'd be pretty sad if you're like selfish greedy what's wrong with you I'm not giving you it. hey guy that gave me a million is asking me for 20 I think I can handle that I think, we, I think I can do that and God gave everything to us and we ought to desire to serve Him Luke chapter 8 verse 38 and 39 says uh, now the man of, out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, "Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee." And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. He, the maniac, he wanted to serve right away. He wanted to go and do something for God. He wanted to be his disciple. There was many uh, that when Jesus healed them or when Jesus saved them, they would automatically want to be his disciple. They want. They wanted to serve him, boy. And that, that's something that accompanies salvation. And we will. If you don't think that way, it's probably it's either because you're not saved, or you just haven't thought about what great things he has done for you. You think about that, you're going to want to serve. But then, lastly, something that I believe accompanies salvation is your focus will change to the second coming. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2, verse 11. You know, many people these days who claim to be saved, boy, they're awful fixated on the things of this world. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things that is constantly on my mind whenever on any decision I make, on everything I do, everything, it's on the coming of Christ. I mean, when I think of, even when I think about things like being a grandpa someday, a lot of times what crosses my mind what if the Lord comes back before then? That might not even happen. I mean, that's that's just and it's an automatic thing that I'm constantly thinking about. I mean, uh, you know, no matter what it is, when I think about it, when our church has its tenth anniversary, I wonder if we'll ever, I wonder if we'll even have a tenth anniversary. What if the Lord comes back before that time? Well, you know, when I think of I, at this point in my life, I don't think about dying a whole lot because I'm not planning on dying of an accident. I'm not planning on dying of cancer or any other disease like that. I guess nobody plans on that. I'm planning on dying of old age. Okay. Well, uh, if I'm planning on dying of old age, you know that I, I hopefully have another forty or fifty years. 
But I'm not really thinking about that because in my mind, I'm thinking the Lord's going to come back before that time. It's just automatically in my thinking and even in my planning, it's like, is the Lord even going to come? I mean, you know, if I had a time machine, I don't think I, I don't think I could even go too far in the future. Unless, unless it would put me in the millennial reign. I think the Lord's coming back soon. And it's constantly in my mind. My, my focus is on that. And not just on His coming. Okay, A lot of times when people think about the coming of Christ, the reason they get excited about it is because in their mind, that's an escape from the mess that they're in right now. And yeah, this world is a mess. And But... The, when I think, when you think about the second coming, uh, I have a message I, I probably preach one of these days if I can find my notes on. It. I preached a long time ago about the wrong way to look for the coming of Christ. And many people today, the coming of Christ is something they're looking forward to just because they hate their life. Hey, no, the reason when we when you think you're, when your focus is on the second coming, for, for me, I want to make sure that when Christ comes, I'm doing His will. That I'm doing the work of the Lord. That it, that when He comes, He will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the desire. I want Him to be happy with what I've done. When the, when the Lord returns, I want to make sure I've got some rewards laid up in heaven. That I've made, uh, I've made some preparations for that day. That I've been, that I will be found faithful. It's just, it's constantly on my mind. It's something that you just automatically think about that the Lord is coming back someday and we've, we've got to get ready. I've got to do something for Him before He comes. I tell you, if it, uh, the coming of Christ, the, the thought of that, it motivates me to do so much because it would be real easy. I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. I'm planning on dying of old age. Alright? I understand that everybody is, but I'm planning on dying of old age so it would be real easy for me to say, you know what? For right now, I'm just going to focus on my family, and I'll do something for God after I raise my kids, and they're all out of the house. Well, no, because the coming of Christ, it's going to it's going to come any time. So I need to do something now. He might come before my kids grow up, before my kids are out of the house. I need to do something now. My thinking is is focused on that. Wanting to be ready for that coming of Christ. It is a natural thing for a Christian to think that way. It's something that kind of accompanies salvation. Something changes. And I'm not saying that you if you that you have to do all these things to be saved. I'm saying these are some things that should happen after you get after you get saved. They're not going to happen all at once, but over time you ought to be growing. These things ought to happen. Something should change. When I got married to Cassandra, my life changed. It's when somebody you know marriage is going to change some things. You know, I remember uh, when Cassandra was pregnant with Tommy. A lot of times, you know, the doctors and nurses or other people. Well, you know, they, everybody always wants to give you this great advice, and they would say things like, "Don't let having a baby change your life." It's like, are you stupid? What kind of parent do you think I am? Hey, 
Becoming a parent is going to change your life. Okay, You've got a little a child that is dependent on you that you have to raise. And I know they're kind of saying, you know, hey, don't let it take over your life. You know, Go ahead and still have some fun. I don't know what they're saying. But it's going to change your life. It's, it's just going to happen. You know, Don't let marriage change your life. It better change your life. It, it, it better, otherwise you're not going to have a very good marriage. Marriage is going to change your life. You know, don't let getting saved change your life. Huh? No, the Bible says if. That word, if any man be in Christ. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Before I got married, uh, when I was living by myself, you know, I could pretty much do whatever I wanted to do. Go eat what I wanted to eat, when I wanted to eat. Focus. You know, I didn't have. I didn't have to ask anybody. You know, now if I'm gonna before I go out to eat a lot of times, or if I'm here, you know, I got to call, make sure my wife's not planning on making something for supper before I go home. You know, I got I got to check with her on some things on uh, when it comes to spending. Back then, hey, you know, I could spend whatever I want. Didn't have to tell anybody. Wasn't accountable to anybody. Now I got to be careful because you know we've got same bank account. I got to make sure. Uh, you know, we're not both spending the money, and uh, to where it, you know it's all gone. We don't have it. You got to have that communication. Things change, and when you get saved, something, something ought to change. There ought to be some things that accompany salvation. And you know what? At this church, we're always going to preach on those things all the time. If you're saved, God expects something from you, and we we ought to be do our best to find out what that is. And to do our best to do those things. Ask God, hey, what do you want different in me? And then do something for God. Things that accompany salvation. Let's stand together.